I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Is BP contaminating your portfolio? We assess the oil spill's effect on the share price and dividend. Who needs a financial advisor? We find even more investors going it alone. And who's moving into new build property? We look at new developments in the housing market. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent. I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross. Hello. And Tanya Poli. Hello. And our special studio guest, Rebecca O'Keefe, Head of Investments at Interactive Investor. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, shares in BP fell to their lowest level since 1997, as US criticism of the Gulf of Mexico oil spill intensified. On Thursday, fears that President Obama would impose massive financial penalties on the company sent the share price plummeting 12% at the start of trading to 345 pence. That's nearly half the level BP shares were trading at before the oil spill began on the 20th of April. Reports that the US Justice Department is planning to force BP to withhold its next dividend payment and suggestions that compensation costs are spiralling out of control have hit UK pension funds and income funds hard. BP currently provides £1 in every £7 worth of dividends that pension funds receive from FTSE 100 companies. Um, Alice, how important then is BP to all of our pensions? Well, it's important. I mean, it's a big holding in, in most pension funds um, for the reasons that you say. It's just such a massive dividend payer on the FTSE 100. And especially since uh, the fall of the banks um, a couple of years ago, they stopped paying dividends. So a lot of people have gone into BP as one of the biggest dividend um, payers. So, so there are a lot of holdings in BP. I would say, though, that the impact is going to be worse on the income funds this year than the pension funds. Because remember that pension fund investing is for the long term. So you know, the pension funds have 10, 20, 30 years to recover from this. Um, and there's been no talk as yet of BP, uh, you know, going under or anything um, or uh, suspending its dividend for the long term. What we're talking about at the moment is a Q2 suspension of the dividend. So the impact on pension funds is probably not as concerning as the impact this year for income investors. And I suppose the thing about pension funds is that they are diversified across different asset classes, whereas your average, say, UK equity income fund is just holding the big FTSE 100 dividend payers. And I think BP is the largest holding, isn't it, for uh, more than half of all income funds? Is that about, about right? Yeah, well, we ran the figures recently, and so there are 86 UK equity income funds, and BP is the top holding in 40 of those. So, so almost half. half. Yeah, okay. just under half. Yeah. Um, uh, 63 of them have 
holdings in BP. And, and some of them have as much as 10% of their holdings in BP. That might not sound so much, but if you think that 10% of the, the shares are in BP, but BP is likely to be a um, bigger dividend payer. So if it does suspend its dividend, as apparently the market is now pricing in to the shares that they the market expects it to suspend its dividend, then that will have a, an impact on the, the kind of income that you can get from these funds this year. Now, I was very interested to uh, hear from a UK growth fund manager earlier this week that he has started buying BP. Now, obviously, growth fund managers are not looking for dividends, so he's probably quite happy that BP isn't going to pay any. But was buying in just because he thinks that the share price has fallen so far that uh, it's an overreaction and it's got to recover. Is anyone else of that opinion? Uh, a lot of people are of that opinion, um, particularly uh, private investors have been snapping up BP shares. It's for the past, um, well, for the past seven days, I think, or 10 days, BP buys on a lot of trading platforms have been the top the top one or the top five or the top 10. And Rebecca, I think that you've you've been seeing that on your um, share platform that a lot of investors are actually buying BP, not for the dividend, not for the income, but just because they think it's very cheap now. They do think it's very good value. And they're probably right at these levels. I mean, most investments should be for the long term. But we do find short term speculators are very interested in oil stocks in general. And um, BP hasn't typically been their radar because it's been too big a stock to own. And you've typically had smaller oil stocks that have been far more volatile and far more actively traded. However, BP has come into the radar of many investors who, albeit may not be looking for dividend income, would still be interested in the UK government taking more of an active interest and considering what they're going to do. Because many investors are looking at this in some horror with the US government seemingly telling UK investment PLC what they can or can't do. So I think you've got a huge number of different variables when it comes to BP at the moment, the dividend being one element of it. But as it is, as a growth stock for the next two, four, five years, it looks a pretty good bet for a lot of our investors. And we are seeing buys to sells in the range of sort of four to one. Mm. Which ties in with what I've been hearing from uh, other brokers. Just very, very quickly, um, should pension investors have anything to worry about? Should Should they do anything or should they just sit tight? You can't really do it when it's your pension and when it's just a, a kind of a flash fear like this with one stock as well. There's not much you can do. I mean, just remember um, uh, two years ago when, you know, we had all of those problems in October 2008 with the markets. Uh, markets went hugely down. That did affect pension investors then. But pensions have recovered a lot. And that was the entire market, not just one stock. So I don't think pension investors should be too concerned. Thanks, Alice. And uh, for the latest on BP and on uh, new equity income funds focusing on Asia and Latin America rather than uh, the UK or US, look out for the articles in FT Money with this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, would you buy a new build home to live in or to let out? First, though, using financial advisors, or rather, not using financial advisors. Last week, a survey found that nearly half of all investors now managed 
all of their money themselves, and nine out of ten manage some of their own portfolios. This week, further evidence of this trend has emerged. The Investment Management Association has revealed that more than a third of all fund investments are made direct over online platforms rather than through financial advisors. And the pension provider AJ Bell reported that 73% of the half a million people who now manage their own pensions monitor their individual holdings on a weekly basis. Alice, DIY really seems to be gaining in popularity. It really does. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, firstly, there's kind of the long term trend probably over the past decade or so, whereby um, finding out information about stocks as a private investor has just become so much more easy with the advent of the internet. Um, and uh, you know, investors have such an advantage now. They can just look up stock prices. They can access all of this research. And uh, online trading platforms have sprung up to allow them to just make buys and sells without any need for a financial advisor. So, so that has been this kind of long-term trend. But this seems to have been hastened in the past eighteen months, past two years, by the credit crunch, which saw so many investors lose so much money that a lot of them, uh, whether rightly or wrongly, blamed their financial advisor. And this seems to have turned them towards managing their portfolios more themselves, to, uh, turning to online stockbrokers, um, execution-only services. And I think Rebecca, that's a trend that you you've definitely noticed in the past eighteen months or so, isn't it? We have. I mean, in terms of share dealing, the number of share trades that were done on our platform over the last sort of 18 months has increased threefold, which is an indication just generally of how many people are taking a more active interest. Mm. I mean, the shift from advised to sort of self-directed individuals is for a variety of reasons. For many, it is about making an active decision. It's the availability of information, tools, resources, and the simple fact that buying your own investments is actually a reasonably cheap thing to do. It's cost effective. For some, they've become forced investors as there's been a shift from defined benefit to defined contribution schemes. So whether they like it or not, they've suddenly had to take a much more active interest in their own financial future. But to be honest, receiving a six monthly statement, which shows that your future plans are going up in smoke because your returns kept going down was Mm. probably the nail in the coffin for a number of people with their financial advisors. And they made the decision to actively manage the money themselves. Because to be honest, who is going to do sort of review your portfolio regularly, sort of and take much more of an interest? It's going to be you. You're the person that has the vested interest in making sure that your finances are in the right place. So for that reason, we have sort of lots of people who are looking uh, to manage the money themselves for their own financial future. And why, I mean, financial advisors often come under criticism for this, that they only provide six monthly or yearly portfolio uh, statement updates. They only review your finances every year. Should we blame them for that? Is, Is that, could they be snappier with their investment decisions or is that just the nature of the game with a financial advisor? I think it's difficult. I mean, most clients only get a triennial review, but they get six monthly statements. So that's a review every three years Mm. with statements every six months. It is difficult for a financial advisor to really be good at everything. I mean, for me, the financial advisor market is much more about investment planning and tax planning rather than investment planning. So it's tax planning and sort of protection and trusts and inheritance tax. um, And they can't necessarily be good at the investment choices. It's also the fact that there is not a huge informational advantage with 
at financial advisors. Most retail investors have as much information at their fingertips as a financial advisor would. So it is much better probably to actually, if you're comfortable looking at after your own investments, um, to start thinking about uh, what you should do yourself. But as you were saying, there are some areas where private investors don't have the advantage over financial advisors, and that might be areas of tax planning, inheritance tax that are, that are a little bit more complicated, and that's where you probably should consider a financial advisor? I think you should. I mean, for the very high net worth, you've certainly got IHT planning, trusts, um, and general taxation matters. For for a general audience, you've got protection and basic tax planning. Um, but for a lot of people in the middle, you have the ability and the resources to do it yourself. Um, and even if you're allowing your financial advisor to give you general advice about what you should be considering, the actual underlying investment side of things might be good. I think that's a yes, very good advice. I, I wouldn't try and do any of those things myself. That's just far too complicated, I think. Thanks very much for that, uh, Rebecca and Alice. And for more on what uh, you can do yourself and what you might want to take advice on, look out for Alice's article in FT Money this weekend and online at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, new build property. At the height of the housing market boom, seven out of ten newly built homes in Britain were being snapped up by investors rather than owner-occupiers. But after a credit crunch, financial crisis and recession, that proportion has nearly halved. But this week, there were signs that investors may be returning. Um, Tanya, who is buying new builds today? Well, I think if we're looking at the prime London market, it seems to be predominantly um, international investors again. Um, we have seen an increase of um, international investors coming back into the new build market up from last year. So like last year, it was about maybe 30% of the proportion was actually investors compared to owner occupiers. And now we're up to like sort of 41% again. And it actually does seem to be predominantly Asian investors. Um, they're the ones who seem to be particularly like new build properties rather than, say, you know, the secondhand properties, um, normal kind of properties. So while UK investors are looking to Asian equity markets for their dividends, because they don't want to get them from BP or anything like that, uh, we have Asian investors buying into property in London and other parts of the UK? Or is it just London? It's mainly London. I think before, say, the peak of market, international investors were kind of buying new build properties across the UK. But now the focus does primarily seem to be on London. I mean, I think with Asian investors, we're seeing that it's, again, um, a matter of the fact that it's like they've got favourable exchange rates at the moment. So, say, compared to the peak of market, they're getting discounts of between 30 to 50% on London prime property. Um, also, they kind of see um, London very much as a safe haven at the moment. Um, particularly in terms of um, property purchases. So I think that's kind of that's kind of been the main drive that we're seeing like Asian investors actually come into the London market. That that does explain why London might look more attractive because I suppose the prime London market we have seen in price terms be incredibly robust and prices going up which presumably must make yields less attractive unless you have this currency factor. Yeah, I mean, well over the last, uh, I would say, about 18 months now, we've seen prime property um, prices go up by about sort of nearly a quarter. So actually, it's like a, it's providing a very strong market. But um, a few people have said to me, actually, the new build property market hasn't kind of risen as much, but they're kind of predicting that that's going to follow quite shortly. It's already, it already is sort of seeing gains. Um, and um, I, I know a lot of people are kind of predicting like sort of next year and the year after that it's going to quite substantial gains like 7% and then following that maybe 10%. Um, so really the Asian investors realise that they're onto a good um, 
sort of investment, particularly from a capital gain. Um, from a yield perspective, they're unlikely to see anything more than 5% in the London market. But a lot of these investors, a lot of these Asian investors particularly, um, find London quite attractive because a lot of their kids are studying over here. So they kind of do it, first of all, for them to kind of, um, you know, have a good base. And they like new builds because often they're like very good on security, light sense point of view. They're easy to let out. Um, they kind of provide that sort of safeness, I think, for their for their kids. And after that, they'll, you know, I mean, income yields are likely to kind of go up in the future as kind of capital growth sort of doesn't continue too much, like in the long, long term. Um, so it's going to be provide quite a good investment opportunity for them. And are there any particular uh, developments or, or, or sort of buildings in, in London that have proved particularly attractive? Yes, um, there's one called the Pan Peninsula, which is um, in Canary Wharf. I think that's been um, particularly um, attractive for um, Asian investors. I, it seems to me that they, they particularly like anywhere that's nearest sort of central tube station, um, anywhere that kind of um, just sort of has a kind of feeling of being very prime London and attractive from that point of view. And just finally, what does this mean for those of us who might be trying to buy a new build property? Presumably there are fewer of them or the prices are going up you know, by the week. Yeah, it's, it does have the um, aspect that it's actually making it a bit more unaffordable for sort of local buyers to actually buy a new build property. But at the moment, I mean, with new build property, UK buyers and European buyers seem to be a bit kind of still unsure. I mean, it was hit hard, quite hard by the credit crunch and there were all these problems with valuations and frauds. So I think a lot of UK buyers are kind of sitting back and not too keen to touch new build um but in the long run i mean this is going to obviously help the house builders and developers kind of maybe obviously prices are going up so they can be able to afford to build more properties um so in the long run when people are a bit more sure about new build actually there's going to be more properties on offer so it could be good in the long run mm-hmm. for for all of us uh, tanya will obviously uh, keep monitoring that um and if you'd like to know more about uh, uh, new build property you can read tanya's article in ft money with this weekend's ft that's all we have time for on this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you can find weekday news updates and all of these stories on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can now find all of our interactive web content brought together in one place on our brand new Money Matters page. You'll find our latest blog posts, columns that you can comment on, beginner's guides, top tips and details of our live Q&A sessions, including a recent Q&A on gold. So send in your questions, comments and thoughts by visiting ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Alice, Tanya and our special guest, Rebecca O'Keefe from Interactive Investor. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.